0: Welcome, and thank you for joining this podcast brought to you by the American Heart Association. The association's Digital Digest series features a range of podcasts and videos focused on the latest resuscitation science topics.
1: Hello, everybody. I'm Karen Hirsch. It's my pleasure to welcome you to our podcast today. I am a neurocritical care specialist at Stanford University and involved in the American Heart Association ECC Guidelines Committee. It's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Jason Bartos, who's an assistant professor of medicine and cardiology and an interventional cardiologist at the University of Minnesota, and also welcome Dr. Ash Panchal, who's an associate professor of emergency medicine at The Ohio State University. We're very (laughs) fortunate to have both of these experts here with us today. Dr. Bartos has um, trained in cardiology and interventional cardiology and has won multiple research awards for his research in resuscitation and advanced circulatory support. And Dr. Panchal is joining us in his role as the current chair of the Adult AHA Guidelines Committee and also has done significant research himself in the area of resuscitation and cardiac arrest. It's my pleasure to welcome both of you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. We're gonna launch right into this and I'm gonna start by asking Dr. Panchal, could you explain the purpose of a focused update
2: Definitely. One of the exciting things about what we've changed when it comes to how we go about doing our guidelines is we've started doing focused updates. And the concept there is we're aiming at having annual updates to the guideline recommendations based on the most recent resuscitation science. So instead of waiting for five years to hear what the next big thing is, when these randomized controlled trials come out, there is a nice systematic review which is done on the international level. And of course, from the guidelines perspective, our AHA, writing group will then dive into all that data, and on an annual basis, will develop guideline recommendations so that we can best take care of our patients.
1: That's great. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? How do you base a focus update on current literature, and what does that look like for American Heart Association versus other institutions in different countries around the world?
2: Well, I think that one of the most important concepts that we have to have is that when we think about resuscitation science, we do think about it as an international community. So a lot of the comprehensive evaluation of the resuscitation literature that we have is happening at the international stage through the International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation, otherwise known as ILCOR. In this group, we have resuscitation experts from across the world, including from, from the United States, who are involved in looking at the most up-to-date resuscitation literature and trying to understand exactly what all these important studies have to say. This information then is transferred by Ilcor as a statement which the American Heart Association and other councils around the world will use to develop their uh, guidelines. In our case, our third annual focused update for both AHA, ECC, CPR, as well as first aid is based on this comprehensive literature review conducted by Ilcor and same with these other councils across the world. Now the important point is is that when our writing group at the American Heart Association sits down and looks at this data We are looking at it through the lens of individuals who practice in the United States and in Canada and are able to look at this concept and say, what's best for our patients here and what fits the infrastructure of EMS care, in-hospital care, post-arrest care that we have in this venue so that we can best take care of patients here?
1: That's great. Thank you. It's very helpful to hear. It's interesting to think about how we take science and apply it to our local context. I'm going to turn now to Dr. Bardos and ask you, could you touch a little bit on what updates are included in the 2019 focus update on ACLS?
0: Absolutely. So with regard to ACLS, there are three main topics that were discussed with revision of recommendations. The first is in respect to airway management, uh, and those recommendations are primarily focused around focusing the efforts for the advanced airway on the skill set of the people that are undertaking the effort. So if a center uh, is particularly adept at placing endotracheal tubes, then they may choose to focus on that effort, whereas other facilities or pre-hospital settings where they may not have as robust of a skill set in endotracheal tube placement and intubation may instead choose supraglottic airways or bag valve mask. Now those recommendations, as uh, Dr. Pancho was saying, are really focused on bringing the choice of technique and technology to the individual community, so they can adapt and, and adapt that community to or that technology to the resources and, and the techniques that they have. There are other recommendations in that category as well around training and continued quality assessment to ensure that that specific community or effort may be choosing the right technology. The second category is around use of pressors. This is a long a Debated topic uh, and a controversial topic uh, in the setting of cardiac arrest. The recent data on epinephrine uh, caused substantial controversy and there's uh, More long term data on vasopressin in comparison to epinephrine uh, That has also been controversial. And so the recommendations um, now focus on the ability to use vasopressin, but not necessarily a preference for vasopressin and uh, really allow for use of epinephrine only in the setting of cardiac arrest. The third category is a new category, or at least a more recent category, and one that is populated with much less data. And that's the category of extracorporeal cardiopulmonary resuscitation, or ECPR. This is the use of ECMO and uh, what is essentially percutaneous bypass to support patients in the setting of CPR and cardiac arrest. uh, Where in this setting, two large IV catheters are put in the femoral artery and veins. So these are the artery and vein and the top portion of the leg where blood is removed from the body put through an oxygenator. Uh, that also removes CO2 and then it's pumped back into the body bypassing entirely the heart and lungs. This technology is interesting and exciting because it may provide a way to support patients who are otherwise refractory to all of the other treatments that have been offered for cardiac arrest. The issue that's acknowledged by these guidelines is the limited data that's available. And so as opposed to the other two topics are trials that argue, uh, the data argue for different sides of a coin, in this group or in this topic, there's just a lack of data, at least the data that we consider to be the gold standard data, including randomized controlled trials. There are smaller studies, cohort studies, uh, and even a meta-analysis looking at the use of eCPR. Some of those studies are mixed in terms of the results. Uh, but this is an exciting field that will be growing over the next five to ten years. But to date, at this point, the recommendations acknowledge that lack of data and state essentially that you may use ECPR in select cases, uh, but the recommendation is against at this point routine use without having more of that concrete data.
1: That's great. Thank you so much. It sounds like this is an exciting update and covers broad different areas that affect all of us as practitioners in this field. I'm going to turn this back to Dr. Panchal and just ask if you could comment a little bit just about what it's really like being an emergency room physician and trying to think about the pros and cons of making decisions about pressors and eCPR for a patient. And then after we hear from you, we'll turn it back to Dr. Bartos.
2: Thanks. Thanks a lot, Karen. Uh, So I think one of the challenges that we have, especially as an emergency physician or even an EMS practitioner, because a lot of my life is spent in the pre-hospital setting as an EMS doc. And I think the challenge we face is that there's so much data out there and so much guidance from different areas, in FOMED and so on and so forth that um, it's very hard for us to sometimes piece through all of this data to really get an idea of what is the best thing I can do for this patient in front of me and it's really that concept what can I do for this patient in front of me to improve their outcomes so that when all said and done they have a neurologically intact survival when they go home and when we when it comes to the the bigger question of things like vasopressors because we know it's been controversial we know that people have been worried that that we've been giving epinephrine and these other medications and we may not be getting, attaining our uh, neurologically intact survival, the evaluations that we're able to get from the data from Ilcor and then having our writing group sit down and really look at this, I think we've taken the best possible lens to give people guidance. And a lot of times we don't have time to really go through all this phone med and really do that focused evaluation. For me as an ER doc and an EMS doc, this is the gold. This is the thing that really helps me cut through all this information to really come down to what is the best treatment option. it really gives me guidance about what's the next step of my care.
1: Great. Thank you. And Dr. Bartos, could you comment a little bit more on your role as an interventional cardiologist and thinking about mechanical circulatory support, including what goes into starting eCPR for a patient like this?
0: Absolutely. I think the challenge for me and folks like me in interventional cardiology and in critical care is that we see the patient's late in their course. Uh, we are but a, ch- a link in the chain of survival, and our link comes a little later in the process. And so all of these recommendations impact the events and the quality of resuscitation that that patient receives before they get to us. So for us, or for me receiving a patient to the cath lab, and I'm thinking about putting them on, initiating eCPR and putting them on ECMO, everything that has happened before me is absolutely critical. And if that is not optimized, if that's not prioritized in the system, then I cannot really provide a great benefit for that patient, no matter what I do. Now, to start the program and to start eCPR, first we must focus on all those things and make sure that all of the links that come before me are intact and are optimized to the fullest extent. Once they get to me, my priority is to provide my system of care, my component of the the chain, as quickly and efficiently as possible with as much expertise as possible. And in that, the issue uh, becomes one of personnel and one of scheduling. So, as an interventional cardiologist working in the cath lab, I have multiple partners, and that patient comes in needing eCPR, and we need to make sure that each one of my partners is able to do the same high quality eCPR. Uh, as I would uh, if they arrive to the cath lab. And that requires that we're all on board, we're all working as a team, and we're all participating in this process together uh, to really optimize that care. In addition, we have an entire staff. You know, in the cath lab, we have personnel of all aspects and all um, job descriptions in that cath lab, and some that are recruited to the cath lab. So it becomes very much a team sport and also an effort. Uh, as we describe in the setting of codes of sort of a pit crew mentality that's exactly what we develop in the cath lab and what we've seen over the last four years as we've been doing ecpr here in minnesota is that we have developed a team mentality that goes well beyond what most cath labs uh, have to begin with and that we are now resuscitating a patient as well as treating coronary disease and underlying etiologies and with that comes a change in mindset now we're less a cath lab than we are a resuscitation bay at that point. And all those services from across the hospital come to us, uh, all at the service of that patient. And while that's exciting, uh, it takes a lot of logistical support and a lot of planning uh, and a lot of debriefing to continuously make the system better over time. But I think it's an effort that's entirely worthwhile to bring these great resources and technologies to bear in this very critical problem where patients are still continuing to die at an unfortunately high rate.
1: It's great. Thank you so much. I'm going to shift gears a little bit now and focus on the uh, other area that has been updated, and that is on systems of care. Dr. Bartos, can you tell us a little bit about what updates are included in the 2019 focused update on systems of care?
0: Absolutely. There are two primary focuses of the updates on systems of care in this focused update. The first is focused on the very earliest link in the chain of survival. That is the link when a, a bystander witnesses a cardiac arrest, acknowledges that something is wrong, and goes to the patient to initiate the process of resuscitation. When that happens, many of the bystanders do not know how to act in that situation. They call 911, uh, but they do not know what to do. And in that setting, the use of dispatcher assisted CPR, where the person on the phone who receives that phone call from the bystander talks them through CPR, has demonstrated great benefits in many systems to walk people through the process and get them to act where perhaps their stress level combined with inexperience uh, would otherwise prevent them from acting. So that's the first topic of this focused update. The second is around Uh, post-cardiac arrest centers and resuscitation centers. This is a topic that's been discussed for a long time, and many centers have built up many resources around resuscitation, everything from targeted temperature management, cath lab availability, training and optimization of resuscitation, and availability of eCPR in some cases. The recommendations and focus update now suggest that it is reasonable to take a patient to those resuscitation centers that are focused on that effort if those facilities and those procedures are not available at the institution where that patient uh, is currently residing really suggesting that this is a field of expertise a a field where systems of care need to be built in order to provide the best care and to the extent that it's possible uh, bringing a patient to those systems of care that have been established and developed is a reasonable endeavor.
1: Thanks, Dr. Bardos, for covering the outline of what's included in the focus update on systems of care. I'm going to turn now to Dr. Panchal and ask if you could provide a little additional perspective on this, both from the chair of the Guidelines Committee, but also as an emergency room and EMS uh, provider or supervisor. What is it like for you when you think about things like dispatcher-associated dispatcher instructions for CPR and specialized cardiac arrest centers?
2: Well, for me, this is an exciting update, so exciting in the sense that um, both the systems of care and the, uh, the advanced life support both actually look at this whole uh, chain of survival, as, as Dr. Bartos basically told us. We're looking at all aspects of this chain and really taking some significant time to improve those chains and those links such that we can provide better care. In the systems of care, we're really focusing on dispatch instructions and CPR. And for me, um, that is particularly important because if I can get uh, a bystander to actually start performing bystander CPR, that, that is life-saving. It improves our outcomes by two to three-fold, and so, it, so the dynamics of really engaging our d- dispatchers and optimizing their performance becomes so important for the overall outcome to the point that Dr. Bartos is able to take these people to the cath lab and do these, these amazing things to improve people's neurological intact survival. Now, when we then amplify that in a high functioning systems where they've already made some decisions when it comes to where a patient should go to get specialized cardiac arrest care. I think that even takes us to the next level of a chain of survival. Now that's a chain of survival which has been decided in a local environment. But I think we can look at other examples in our care, stroke care, trauma care, where having that specialized center could be very important. And so thinking about this kind of structure in a community can again be another way for us to think about how we can amplify and help care overall. Now, add that on to all the different other pieces that we've looked at and the nuance of how we're doing airway management and how we're doing um, vasopressor care, I think this is an exciting time for us because now we're able to start really pinpointing those different aspects that we can improve, and all of it together improves our chain of survival.
1: That's great. Thank you so much. Well, I just wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you to Dr. Bartos and Dr. Panchal It sounds like these updates are very exciting and have very broad implications across the entire chain of survival, ranging from the pre-hospital setting to advanced circulatory life support happening in specialized centers around the country and really around the world. We hope that you all will enjoy looking at them. We look forward to hearing comments uh, back from the public. And just wanted to, again, take the opportunity to say thank you to Dr. Bardos and Dr. Panchal for being here with us today.
2: Our pleasure. Thank you. Views
0: expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Heart Association and the American Stroke Association. For transcripts of this podcast and more information about resuscitation science, please visit cpr.heart.org or engage with us via social media using hashtag ECC Digital Digest.